come into me and they would say that they were overwhelmed. I've had hundreds of people come into my office and say that they were overwhelmed because if I wasn't maximizing their time and energy, I was leaving money on the table. Right. So, where, where are you spending the most amount of your time? Is there anything that you're doing that's inefficient? What would you prefer to be doing more of? And what would you prefer to be doing less of? Hey everybody, welcome to the Raisin Brand Podcast. I have a very special guest. She has basically been an investor. She's been someone who's in partnership, strategic um, growth, and now she took over a company that is all about mindfulness. Um, I'm a huge fan of aromatherapy, and Centered is exactly that. Um, This is Sherry. She is the president and CEO of Centered, and I'm so thankful that you're here. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, Sherry. Thanks for having me. All right, Sherry, I always ask every single guest, what are you currently obsessed with? It could be as weird as like an app or like you've just been obsessed with a certain, you know, meal and you're like digging it every single day. So what are you currently obsessed with, Sherry? You know, uh, partially because of what we're doing at Centered, but partially because I'm trying to be a responsible human being. So I found a couple of really interesting uh, bamboo-based, uh, toilet tissue and facial tissue brands, um, some other um, products that are more sort of replace saran wrap on food that are more eco-friendly. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, I actually come from a very traditional like um, immigrant Asian household and they don't really understand the new wave of like eco-friendly. So I've been introducing reusable straws and my, my dad's always like, why are the straws metal? I'm like, because <laughs> yeah. it's saving the turtles. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I actually gave uh, metal straws as stocking started subtly and there's going to be a few little surprises in the Christmas stockings again this year. Um, so yeah, Sherry, I think I want to dive into that. Your personal life. So you are also a mother. Um, you're a president. You're a CEO. Um, I love to know, I guess, two years ago you started Centered. You told me a little bit about your story. Why? Um, can you t- kind of tell the um, listeners a little bit more about, you know, how you balanced, um, you know, two years ago when you, um, you know, took on Centered? What was that like? What was your why behind it? Um, and most importantly, because you're also, you have a family, was it hard to balance in the beginning? Sure. Uh, so I have worked since I was, you know, 11. So uh, work ethic has been something that has been part of my central personality forever. So the idea of getting married, starting a family, always included the concept of, of working in some way. And uh, prior to joining Centered for the previous 14 years, I was running a multi-million dollar marketing services agency in Times Square and uh, it was owned by a private equity company and it was time to sell the company a few years ago and it took a while to get that done and and when we finally crossed the finish line and we had successfully found a buyer and signed all the paperwork, I knew at that point I was ready for a change. 14 years is a long time, a lot had happened in the business since then and this really wasn't where I saw myself hanging my hat for the next, you know, 10 years or so. So while I was still there and, and, you know, very much loved the company that I worked for and and wanted to make sure that we were positioned properly, I started to to ask myself those questions of what's next. And I talked to a lot of people and a lot of people who had been down the road that I had before. I'm involved in some professional networking groups and have the opportunity to pick up the phone and say, okay, what was your thought process when you sold your company or or, um, you know, when you exit it. And so I got a lot of very similar advice to, or questions, you know, well, what are you interested in? And I asked myself maybe what industry I want to 
focusing on? Where's where's the growth? Maybe maybe I wanted to start a new company. Maybe I would go acquire another company. Uh, and it was very very good advice, but it was some of it was a little tactical, and some of it was somewhat generic in you know what are you passionate about type right. questions. And so I really started over the course of several months ask myself what are my questions, and through some self searching I was able to come up with them. And it was really two questions. One. Uh, how do you want to feel about the time that you spend professionally in the next 10 years? And what evidence do you want to show for the time that you put against your career? So those two questions really helped guide me. And I talked to a lot of people, and I was very fortunate. I had a number of opportunities that I, I was able to consider. And some of them just really, it was obvious they weren't going to be right for me because they didn't fit into my answers to the questions. And the questions... The answers were, number one, in terms of evidence, I knew that I wanted to scale a business. I didn't want to run just a small little lifestyle company that kind of paid everybody's bills and and we all just sort of, you know, turn along year after year. I wanted, I wanted to take something that was small and really scale it up. And I'd done that several times before, so I knew I could do it, and I wanted to do that again. But the second question was the real driver. I, how I wanted to feel about the time that I did that was that I knew I wanted to be involved with a company that both internally and externally had the ability to actually improve people's lives. And I did a lot of great things in my previous careers, and a lot of the products that I worked with in the companies were fabulous, and I was lucky to, to learn from some of the best marketers in the world. But at the end of the day, I was really trying to figure out how to sell more cereal or laundry detergent mm-hmm. or lipstick or eyeshadow, and that really wasn't where I wanted where I wanted to focus mm. the rest of my, um, you know, the, this next phase of my career. So when I when I came across Centered and the opportunity with this brand, the positioning and the category, it really piqued my interest. And so that's, that's how I ended up here. And what that's done for me from a family perspective, it's, it's changed my entire lifestyle. So I went from my corner office overlooking the Times Square New Year's Eve ball and the commute that goes along with that to, excuse me, I went from that to a home office that I've decorated beautifully with zero commute, and that time that I would normally have spent dealing with mass transit, getting from Jersey to Manhattan, I now can do things like exercise, have breakfast with my son, and uh, really sort of close down my computer at you know, 6, 6.30 at the end of the day and be home. Mm-hmm. rather than be just starting my commute. So the quality of life has been amazing to the point where my youngest, who was uh, 11 when I started working from home, seems to barely remember all those years where I didn't. Now this is his new norm. So it's really presented me with a great opportunity to find that balance that I was kind of eluding for so many years. That's beautiful. So like your lifestyle has changed. And um, what I I think really enjoy about your perspective is when you um, wanted to build centered, you also kept in mind the lifestyle you want to live. Um, So my question is, a lot of people build companies that don't fit their lifestyle. For example, they have um, big goals, but they forget that I'm a person that um, 
really values family time and then they go ahead and build something that kind of like is a monster or business that kind of eats their time up. Um, So why do you think so many people fall in the trap of building a business that conflicts with their lifestyle? And even when they know that it conflicts, they they don't do the change and um, kind of courage to to go ahead and take that first step. I always ask this question because, um, you know, every this doesn't even apply to business, but so many people fall and settle in their career when they're not enjoying it. What do you think is the number one thing that people fall into a trap? Yeah, I mean, it's tough, you know, when you're going to school and you're trying to figure out what your major is going to be and, and finding those right jobs. And, you know, people who truly love how they spend nine to five, you know, the expectation that that's what you should be shooting for and that should be your definition of what your professional life is supposed to be like, I think you need to be a little bit realistic. You know, we see romance in movies and what true love looks like. And so that becomes your ideal. And you get into the real world and you realize that, you know, relationships take work and, you know, how you feel in the first two weeks or two months of a relationship is not how you feel after two years or 22 years. And that there's a reality check in there and that there needs to be a little bit of of that balance if you're constantly measuring your professional success against that feeling of, I love my job, I can't wait to jump out of bed on Monday morning, Mm -hmm. and some people are lucky enough to have that or have that for certain periods of time, you're going to be changing jobs every 15 seconds. So, you know, happiness is a state of mind. It's, It's cliche, but we have many seasons in our lives, and no one, for the most part, that's graduating from college this year is going to retire from the company that they that they start with those those days are are over so we have we have chapters we have episodes in our life and each each one of those are an opportunity to really learn and live and grow and get the most out of that so if you're in one of those jobs that you've convinced yourself for reality or for perception that you are unhappy you're going to be unhappy every day that you go in and if you're looking for the upside to the story behind why you're there. And you create a story that serves you and allows you to, to the best of your ability, enjoy your time while you're there, you're gonna be a much more satisfied person. If you're creating a story of why you're miserable there and you reinforce that and you hate the sound of your alarm every, every morning when it goes off mm-hmm. and you walk into the office and you're just filled with frustration, you're gonna have a pretty miserable experience. So if you can look at each job opportunity, each role, each company that you're with as a building block, as a chapter, as a phase of your life that you want to make the most out of, your mindset changes. And remarkably, you're not nearly as as miserable as you are in your job. And then setting boundaries. So yeah, there's probably a lot of people who started companies, like you said, that then spiral and then all of a sudden maybe this company that they decided to start so that they could have a better lifestyle has prevented them from having what they wanted. Um, you know, that's again when, when boundaries come into play. I remember um, I, when I had started with my last company, it was before I had my child and I had, I had my son when I was there and um, he, I set the boundaries very, very early. So, you know, when, when I would work at night, when I, um, you know, a lot of those those things I had to set the precedence around, and that was just the way that it was. And then when one uh, one of the women who worked for me, um, sorry, I'm getting a call on the other line, so I'll wait until this 
beeping stuff because I think it's breaking me up. Um, so those are the rules that I set when I had my son. Mm-hmm. A woman who worked for me uh, that had her child, and she was a little bit nuts <laughs> in a good way, meaning she was working all the time. She'd work every weekend. She was young, didn't didn't have a lot of responsibilities, and then she had her child, and, and she switched her her approach to her job pretty dramatically, and others started to notice. So you have to sort of ask yourself when you can push hard, when you want to pull back, and the boundaries that you want to set. Um, sometimes you want to set precedence right from the beginning. Other times you say, now's my time to crush it so I can pull back later, and really sort of understand who you are, what your needs are, and the circumstances that are going to drive your ultimate happiness. I kind of wanted to... Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I feel like, especially, I don't know if you agree, Sherry, but I had this realization recently. So I had an issue, um, basically, like, after 5 p.m., I was really stressed after work, right? Maybe after client work, um, someone's, like, yelling on the phone. So after 5 p.m., I would actually go through a really, really, um, like, anxiety panic mode where I would start to binge eat. And it was not very mindful eating. Um, And I like what you mentioned, which is your your mind's your reality, which is, like, if you go with the intention saying, my job is stressful, you're just going to only see that aspect so I basically asked myself why every single day after 5 p.m. do I like only look for the bad things like do I why do I like go take it out on food and it really did hurt me because um I just struggled I think something called like binge eating and that's something recently I just discovered what I've kind of was reading into is like apparently there's actually sometimes your brain can fabricate um issues for example my brain was just looking for a stressful reason because if I was looking for a stressed out anxiety panic mode reason, then I have an excuse not to do the tasks at hand. For example, um, after 5 p.m., I could push a little bit more or do that project, but maybe I was afraid of rejection or maybe I have a phone call that was scary. So by creating a fabricated, almost like stressful reaction, I had an excuse to like just not do that. Um, I was curious to know because I was thinking like I cannot be the only person that does this. Um, Sherry, have you ever kind of created um, moments where you were stressed out, but it was all in your head um, and you over how did you overcome that? Do you have anything that kind of happened in at least um, your professional life that maybe sounded similar? You know, that's a great question. I think one of the things that I was hearing when you were saying, sharing your story, was a very real reality for a lot of people. The idea of creating a situation or having a trigger create a situation that allows you then to feel a certain way predictably, right? So for you, if, if on the other, on the flip side, you wanted to have a certain response mechanism, you wanted to eat, so you were maybe potentially inventing or looking for the reasons to have that trigger. That's very common. And then the flip side of that is the idea that the trigger automatically produces a response mechanism. So one of the, one of the interesting things scientifically that I was attracted to about centered was the science of your, your sense of smell and how closely that is associated with memory and habit. Because We've all had that experience where somebody you smell something and it brings you back, right? It brings you back to your childhood, brings you back to a certain situation, whether it's a food smell or a cologne smell, <clears throat> fresh cut grass, wood burning fire. So many of us have these connections, and we immediately, based on the smell, the meaning we gave to the smell, 
and then the emotion that automatically subconsciously comes with that meaning, we have a feeling, we, and then we react to that feeling. So if it's, if it's cologne and somebody walks by you and is wearing that cologne, and if it was somebody that you really were fond of, unconsciously you've created meaning of joy and happiness, and then you're filled with those sort of feelings, and that can affect your mood and choices in that very moment. If that same cologne was worn by somebody who had done something horrible to you, the meaning that you've now unconsciously assigned to the same smell produces completely different feelings and emotions and reactions there. So the idea of being able to acknowledge that we all have these triggers, like the stress at the end of the day for five o'clock for you and eating, getting out in front of the trigger is half the battle. Right? What are the things that tend to happen that make me react this way? And you see this in, in lots of different areas. You know, you see people who are trying to quit smoking. So sometimes, aside from a nicotine reduction plan, um, oh, chew on a pencil or do something else. So it's that when you start to feel like you normally feel when you would reach for a cigarette, that's the trigger, right? Then instead of having the reaction be the thing that's not serving you, smoking, do this instead. And so what we found scientifically by incorporating the sense of smell and the power of that, by mindfully inserting a smell at the moment of trigger, that you've now assigned that smell something that serves you. So for example, if, if you know, let's just say our focus balm works for you. There's, there's lots of sense in our line. And you realize that at 5 o'clock, that's when you tend to slip into that behavior that isn't serving you. So you have put it on your calendar however it is that you want to make a note to yourself. Five o'clock every day, you reach for the focus bomb, put it on your wrist, you put it on your temples, you breathe in deeply, and you say whatever it is that is going to serve you, right? Some sort of mantra of, all right, I've got this. I have to do this. I have to do this. I'm not going to do this. Here's the reason why. I, I'm, I'm all over this. Now you've created this connectivity, and you do that over a series of, you know, days, weeks. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden you feel that trigger come on and you're not necessarily going to reach for that knee-jerk reaction of binge eating mm. because you've associated yourself, not because, you know, the focus doesn't make you hungry, but it's because this sense is reinforcing and reminding you that making the better choice for yourself provides you with feelings of satisfaction, pride, self-worth, et cetera, et cetera, so you no longer need or need to as often to, to respond to the stimuli in the way that you had in the past. No, that's good. So, yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. I mean, when you said at 5 p.m., have a timer that goes off, the immediate, I don't know why, the immediate thought I was thinking was like just a concept level. What if at like 5 p.m. there was aromatherapy that went on, like went on your home by timer? So like suddenly yeah. your home, is that, does that exist, Sherry? Do you have that? I don't know that it exists. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't think that it's that difficult given the number of electronic diffusers that are, you know, and, and, and you could, you could in theory, plug your diffuser into a timer and actually yes. create that randomly now, but <laughs> I, I do that for myself. I have reminders. I have my, my various balms, and for example, we've got a hard stop here in a little bit because my child comes home from school, and so what I've begun to intentionally do is I put on our happy balm, lathered on pretty thick, so that when he comes up into my office at 3 p.m., and he hugs me, that's my signature scent of, I come home from school and I have this lovely citrus blend of my, that my mom nice. uses. 
And then I also, about a half hour, and then he knows he comes up, he says hi, he goes back, does his homework, I'm still working, right? Yeah. He knows that I'll come down eventually, but what I've begun to do is I light one of our Be Happy candles because that takes a while for the candles to, you know, light and the smell. And it takes about a half hour for the smell to come out of my office, down the stairs, and around the corner to where his his bedroom is where he's doing his homework and without ever explaining to him that that's what I'm doing when he smells that candle and just that one because that's what I use it for he's figured out that that means I'm about ready to be done for work Mm. so by the time he smells the candle he comes up assumes that I'm ready to come be mom again and we've created that unspoken but deliberate connection to a stimuli and a result in a positive way that's very cool. I I mean, that's like, no one, it's, I feel like sense so underrated um, in your corporate into your day-to-day life. So honestly, if any viewers watching and can honestly message me or email um, someone who figures out how to do aromatherapy on um, automated, <laughs> whether it's a timer or use a, a, a candle reminder, um, I would be so excited to see that because I think that's so cool. Um, so I guess my th- going into um, having, being mindfulness, I think I really like what you said um, I think a month ago you told me, Sherry, that you're really a value that words matter. For example, if you have a problem, it's actually a challenge. And it's really important um, to you, you have the power to interpret your problems in a positive way. So before we go into our last two questions, Sherry, I kind of wanted to do an exercise. Um, I'm going to say a negative word um, that my viewers actually on this podcast kind of I felt like it was very, very common that they were talking about themselves. And I would like to hear you on the spot, um, I guess, think of a positive transformation um, that you would tell yourself um, to make it a lot more um, effective. So, um, for example, you could do um, from problems, challenge. Um, Another word I wanted to ask you is what would you say is another substitute for the word um, anxious? Anxious. Okay, so anxiety. Google anxiety and hundreds and millions of uh, sites will come up. So um, you're anxious. So what are you really, right? Are you uncertain? Are you unclear? Are you fearful of lack of certainty? Um, and, And diagnosing what exactly it is that you're feeling is critical to changing the words. So let's just say you're anxious. Give, give me an example of some a situation where someone, one of your one of your viewers, would be anxious. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, for sure. Um, this month, I didn't hit my sales goal, so I'm anxious. Yeah. Okay. So, what what are you feeling? You're feeling concerned, and these are all still negative words, right? We're not we're not switching it to the positive. Yeah. So you're really feeling concerned. Yeah. About job security about your reputation internally within the company and questioning your own confidence. Correct, correct. And and I have managed hundreds of salespeople in my career. So I am probably the one that has made them feel anxious (laughs) when we review their numbers. I'm Sherry. I'm anxious because of Sherry. (laughs) Yeah, and right, I'm the one holding them accountable. But the last thing that you want to let a salesperson do when they walk out of your office and you review their numbers and they're not hitting them is to leave them without anything actionable. So don't just go and go back to your desk and be afraid. Right? What can we do differently? So you're now empowered mm. to, to 
own the diagnostics as to how we got here. So let's figure out, what did we do? Did we do enough of it? Did what we do, was it right? Was it, was it effective? What could we do differently? Because only you have the power to make the next, how you spend your time the next 30 days. That is all 100% in your power. So now I'm excited because I, I, I have data. I can use the data to improve my strategy and I own the execution of that strategy and I'm, I have the ability to change the outcome. So I had a bad sales month last month, but I really looked at the root cause of what I think was, was the problem. Mm. And I now own the solution. Wow. And I'm empowered to, to change the outcome for next, next quarter. It's all me, and I've got this. Wow. From anxious to empowered, that's really cool. Um, I kind of want to do another one. Are you okay with that, Sherry? <laughs> You're sure. so good at it. Um, sure. Okay, this is a common one I see. Um, the word is overwhelmed. So an example is, Sherry, I have three side hustles, um, obviously the main source of income, and I don't even know if I can fit my like social life. The word is I feel overwhelmed because um, I have so many things going on. Um, what would you transform or how would you approach the situation? The reality is we all have the same 24 hours in the day. And as human beings, we will use whatever capacity we are predisposed to use. There are people that are very happy working 18-hour days. There are people who, at the end of five hours, they're kind of toast. And one person's overwhelmed is another person's day off. Okay? True. So there's a very wide range of what it takes to get to the feeling of overwhelm. But when you're there, there's you only have a certain amount of ability to do what you need to do in the hours that you're predisposed to do them. So 80% is good, right? In most instances, 80% is good enough. So beginning to let go in certain instances of the expectation mm. that 100% of the things that you're involved in can be 100% perfect 100% of the time. So some of it's just learning to let go of the expectations. So maybe your bed never gets made and your mother would be mortified. You know what? As they said in Frozen, let it go, right? <laughs> so you, you have to put some stuff in some buckets of really not that important. You have to ask yourself what really matters mm. and cut a few things out, maybe small things that add up into big things. Maybe, you know, cut down on... TV or social media or X, Y, and Z, you know, free up some capacity. Because you have to ask yourself, when someone would come into me and they would say that they were overwhelmed, I've had hundreds of people come into my office and say that they were overwhelmed because if I wasn't maximizing their time and energy, I was leaving money on the table. Right. So where, where are you spending the most amount of your time? Is there anything that you're doing that's inefficient? What would you prefer to be doing more of? And what would you prefer to be doing less of? What's the plan to stop doing or delegate or shift or exit some of the things that you would really prefer to be doing less of? And how can we free up some capacity so that you can do more of the things that you want to do? And it's the same process. You've now identified that you have filled the number of hours that you as an individual are comfortable dedicating to life, right, and being on as opposed to being off. 
to understand your bandwidth, and now you've got a plan that over time you're going to refrain from doing certain things or end certain projects or exit certain situations so that you can fill your life and your time with more of the things that you really think are going to drive the value. So it's the same thing as the other example, is that you now have gotten your arms around the situation and you have a plan, and half of the battle, half of the time, is, is getting all of the craziness out of the, you know, from swirling around your head, you feel so overwhelmed. Imagine that you have a, a thousand stars over your head, like, like in the sky, and you just start yanking these things down one at a time, and you're like, okay, what's this one, what's this one? And writing lists, however, however you keep yourself organized. And then you'll look at a few of them, and you'll have one of these stars in your hand, and you'll be like, meh. This one's kind of just more of a nuisance. Toss that one in the garbage. So once you've been able to get your arms around the reality, sometimes you're actually, you'll realize slowing down a little bit and getting a little bit more organized and and asking yourself some of those questions, um, you really actually don't have as much uh, on your plate as you think you do. And one um, piece of advice that I've given, um, a number of people have come to me with this, is the idea of, I think it was Mark Twain that said it, but I might have the quote wrong, but eat your frog first thing in the morning and nothing else will be as bad the rest of the day, which is a disgusting concept and, and when you visualize it, but the idea of, and, you, and we've all seen that, that thing on social media where someone's like, is the jar full? And so they, they fill it with a bunch of big rocks and then they fill it with little rocks and they fill it with sand and then they fill it with little water. And so the idea of, you know, take care of the big things first Okay. Um, because if you start with the small stuff, you, the big things won't won't fit in, um, and you'll feel definitely. And those fraud, the big things aren't always necessarily the fun things. The big things are sometimes your taxes or your business expenses, or you know, the big mess in your house versus the little mess of your house. So mm-hmm. those are a couple of strategies that I would I would give to people to to help them really prioritize and then be excited about the fact that they've made those productive decisions for themselves. So, you know, in little language, like, I got a lot on my plate, right? That's yeah. a little bit better than overwhelmed. I'm, I'm, I have so many opportunities right now that I'm entertaining that it's hard for me to sometimes prioritize, mm. and I don't always feel like I'm nailing them all. Wow. That's also a different way to say overwhelmed. Wow. But overwhelmed is a cry for help, generally. So help yourself. Wow. Do you, I'm just curious. So you, I'm sure you had this pep talk before with people running into your office. Um, do you ever find that, like, have you ever had to sit down with someone um, that doesn't open up? Because a lot of the times, for example, this is a really random question, but I have a team, right? And sometimes they don't know. Like, what if what happens if one of your team members doesn't know that they're overwhelmed, but you know you have to give them this pep talk? Have you ever, like, came up to someone and been like, you know, expressed or like confronted them about their issue? Like, has that, because I know that people run into maybe your office. Have you ever had to do the reverse? So is it usually in your situation triggered by somebody has missed something? And so that's the, that's that they're overwhelmed? Like I have uh, have an employee that basically um, doesn't know that she's overwhelmed, but I know that she can't handle everything. So she's taking on too many projects. Will that kind of affect her focus? Have you ever, how would you confront that issue if she doesn't want to um, express that she's the one overwhelmed? Yeah, I mean, I think that sometimes people are afraid to say no. Yeah. And so being overwhelmed and saying yes too often um, can create, are two different things, but, but can create a situation where 
you're under delivering on expectations. And yeah. so, uh, at my in my previous company and here as well, we I live by what I call you know the five pillars of culture, and one of them is consistency. And so, if if someone has too much going on, one of two things has happened: either I've created a scenario where I've given somebody too much that they capacity wise can't handle, and that's for me to fix as a manager, okay. or this person tends to get themselves in a little bit over their head and doesn't realize it, and so they're under-delivering, they're missing deadlines, quality of the work suffers. And so I've said to people, consistency is key, and I would rather have someone that works for me be consistently average than awesome and awful. Really? Because there's no predictability to that, and you're never sure what you're going to get. And by the way, my definition of average is better than most. Yeah. <laughs> you hire well, you hire somebody that you think is a rock star, okay. and then that person's definition of rock star performance needs to be consistent. But let's, let's just say, you know, you're talking about a copywriter. They're a great writer. You've seen their writer. You hire them. They're awesome. And, you know, on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays, their work is dead on, very few edits. The clients love it. You love it. Whoever was supposed to be reading it loves it. And then on Thursdays and Fridays, you know, they're kind of going out, whatever they're doing, they're running yeah. out of their creative juices, and the, the quality of the work towards the end of the week begins to suffer, and the red pen's coming out a lot more. You come back on Monday, and you just remembered the two days of heavy editing that you had to do, and it takes time to build up that credibility again, and you never really feel like you can pull the, pull the you know, security blanket away yeah. and, and let somebody really go out on their own. So um, I would use examples. So it, rather than um, professionally, it's tough to talk about feelings because you open up a can of worms. There's always feelings there, but it's that much better to, to use facts. So, hey, I've noticed the last couple of projects that I've given you have been X, Y, and Z. Yeah. have either been a little bit late. Um, the quality of the work hasn't been what, what I normally would expect to you, and I suspect that there's some underlying causes to that. I want to talk to you about what you think might be causing this and let them think through mm. it first. You probably already know. Um, but, you know, what do you think is, is causing this? I think you've got great potential. And if there's anything that we're doing or I'm doing to stand in the way of you being ultimately successful and awesome, we should address that. So mm. what, do, what do you think and how are you feeling? Are you is this something you're noticing? It's okay to talk about it, <laughs> you know, because maybe, maybe somebody's, fearful, anxious, that if they say no to something, that they're going to get replaced by somebody more capable. So mm. if I created a scenario where somebody could really legitimately come to me and say, I, I got, you know, I, I'm having, or sometimes it's, I'm having a difficulty prioritizing because I have six people providing me projects that are all roughly equal seniority, and how am I supposed to know who's more important than others so that it's an opportunity to, to prove as a team? This is good. I'm literally taking notes for my next meeting so I can cover this issue. Um, all right. So speaking of words, we talked about um, anxiety, overwhelmed, and now we're talking about confrontation. <laughs> um, that's just for Jay to learn from Sherry. So thank you so much. Um, tell me about my last question, which is about bad, big, audacious dreams. I want to know what is your bad, um, and I would love to know what you're currently working on next, Sherry. Yeah, so I mentioned at the beginning of the call the, the area that I'm focused on is some sustainability focus. And, you know, we're a small brand, and that's hard, which has been a wonderful but eye-opening experience for me to be running a, a 
startup. But, you know, when, when you're manufacturing something, that's hard. It's expensive. You don't have scale. You know, trying to be competitive in pricing when you're producing small quantities. I could talk for hours. But it's also very challenging to be eco-conscious and inexpensive, which is yeah. why we've seen what we've seen with what's happened with society and convenience and, and everything else. And so, you know, the idea of, of with a little bit of effort or a lot of effort and a little bit of progress every inch of the way, like to be 1% better today than we were yesterday, to be 10% better this year than we were last year in terms of our packaging and our manufacturing process. And so, we, you know, we do... We do the best that we can with things like we're obviously 100% natural products, and that's just the box that we must check. But the idea of minimizing packaging from what the consumer sees all the way through our supply chain, even the, the crates and the boxes that we use that ship from manufacturing to the warehouses, how can we reuse those? How can we recycle those in more meaningful ways? So being really mindful of the supply chain that consumers will never see. But then the, the packaging that the consumers do see and I posted something on my personal Facebook page about a week ago because I ordered a very small container of something that was about two and a half ounces. Mm-hmm. And the amount of packaging this thing came in like, hurt my heart. <laughs> and so the idea of not only the reduction of packaging, but really focusing on the creative reusability of everything that we, we do to deliver our product to the consumer. So my big audacious dream is that... Um, our packaging is done so well and is so beautiful and so functional that people keep it to use for multiple ways. And I'll, I'll use this example as I, I had the fortune of receiving a few gifts from Tiffany's over the years, and whether it's a vase or a pen or a piece of jewelry, mm. the Tiffany boxes are so iconic and they just make me happy. Yeah. And they're very subtly branded because you don't really need to brand that blue. And I've saved every little bag or every little box that I've yeah. gotten, and I use them for things. And so the idea of, uh, and beyond just the cardboard box, you know, our, our mini tins, our, our mini, uh, our set of mini balms comes in a tin. The tin is beautiful with some creative artwork, uh, and then when you're done with your balms, you can use it for pens or change or whatever. Wow. And, and we're, we're very focused, again, trying to create our pack- packaging in a way that we have all the required ingredients and legal disclaimers and languages that we must have in order to sell product, but then have that product be removable as elegantly and eco-friendly in a way that someone could just be left with something really nice that they would proudly, you know, put flowers in or have their toothbrushes in their bathroom in or, you know, a variety of other ways. And so that's really where we're focused is to try to be innovators in the space and in terms of the big audacious dream to have centered featured, you know, globally in some way as a true innovator in the space of the creative reusability of packaging so that we just have less and less in landfill. Wow. Not only are we transforming words, but we're transforming packaging. I've never seen that done before in regards to um, taking a consumable products um, exterior and like people can like reuse it in fun ways. I think that's super cool. Um, Sherry, thank you so much for being on this podcast. Now, before I go, of course, we plug Centered. You guys, I will link below the website, their socials. But Sherry, if anyone wants to reach you or if there's anything you're working on, whether it's a book um, Actually, maybe I'm stepping too far. But if there's anything that you're working on in the future, um, where should people find you? Um, and where do you, is there anything else you'd like to promote? Yeah, sure. I just, finally, after 
about a year of being here, um, I'm stepping into the public side of Center, and I wrote uh, my first blog for the company. It came out last week, and Woo! I'll be doing a series of blogs, so those will be available on the center.com website. Thank you so much, Sherry. We'll be looking out for this transformative packaging. All my viewers will be literally applying your words, taking notes. I really appreciate you for being here. All right, I'll talk to you guys very soon. And Cherry, I hope you have a good day. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.